I did a lot of praying when I worked there. I hated that job. I've been working since I was 14 on a real job. And I've had about eight different jobs since I was 14. But that was the worst job I've ever had. I hated going there. There were two styles of company that said I'd never work at. And one of them was a title loan company. And they recruited me, called me one day, and this guy painted this big, beautiful picture. And it was a little more money than I was making. So I said, what the heck, let's take a shot. Little did I realize what I was in store for. I felt terrible the first day. I, I really did. And then once I started seeing people who I know, I was really telling them how to play it off quick so they can go ahead and get their, their title back. Because you paying, you getting a loan, and then it's taking you three years just to pay it back. You paying for the car all over again. This is Indebted, South Carolina Public Radio's deep dive into the ecosystem of debt in the Palmetto State. I'm Scott Morgan. In this episode, a look at short-term loans, the first of two, starting with a look from the inside. Before we get into things, a few quick facts to keep in your head. One. Non puoi prendere in prestito la tua via d'uscita dal debito. You cannot borrow your way out of debt. Two, South Carolina does not limit the amount of interest a lender can charge on certain loans, but percentages can be deceiving. Three, South Carolina is one of 32 states where payday loans are still legal, and there are few legal safeguards protecting borrowers here. And payday loans tend to be a lot more expensive in states with fewer protections. Four, I don't know about you, but I'm hungry. A uh, quarter pounder with cheese and a small fries, please. Quarter pounder with cheese and a small fries? Yes. Ah, uh, Royale with cheese. All the goodness of lunch, all the convenience of McDonald's. And they are convenient, you have to admit. Just here in South Carolina, there are what, 270 whole towns? There's like 225 McDonald's. But I didn't choose this one for its convenience. I chose it because the view provides me with a really good metaphor. Right across the street, a title lender. Maybe the most ubiquitous, certainly among the most vilified type of lender in the state these days. If you're looking for money in a pinch and you don't have great credit, but you do have a car, you can pretty quickly find a title lender to front you the cash. Now this strain on poetic license that I'm taking here is that short-term lending stores, title lenders, payday shops, etc., are the fast food drive-through of personal finance and loan products. Easy to access, colorful and brightly lit, familiar in neighborhoods of lower economic status. And while they're convenient, not many would argue that a steady diet of what these places offer is especially good for you. Anyway, since we're so enjoyably straining metaphors, let's throw in another one. Dollar shops. Also convenient, also full of products you probably shouldn't think of as long-term solutions, and always somehow close to neighborhoods that have more liquor stores than juice bars. But I'm not here at the Dollar General in Williston to shop or to talk smack about the place. I'm here to see Ann Purnell. I've been here almost 20 years. I should tell you, Ann and I talked a little while ago now, so it's officially been 20 years on the job for her by this point. But as you might suspect, I'm not here to talk about the job she has. I'm here to talk about one she had before she had this one. 
work at a cash advance and what they do in between paychecks, they offer their customers a quick fix, a Band-Aid, which is not a Band-Aid. If Ann Purnell's name sounds familiar to you, it might be because she's a member of the Blackville City Council. But she's also an insider to the short-term lending industry. And yeah, it's been a little while since she's done that, which would be a compelling argument that what she has to say is a little out of touch, if not for the fact that what she describes from 20-odd years ago is exactly the same mechanism that ends up turning modest sums of borrowed money today into bills a lot of people can't stop paying. It turns into something most of the time permanent. 80, 85 percent of them turn into a, like a, another bill. Um, when you have an unexpected bill or something, they bring a check in and like post-date it for a certain day to come back and pick up. They would advance you money for so much back plus that amount you know, add it to your check. They would come back and you could rewrite your check again and do it again, or you could just pay it out. 85, probably sometimes 90% of the customers would rewrite that check and do it again and again, and it became another bill for them. The main thing that keeps debt stigmatized, the irony that while everyone experiences and understands debt, almost everyone takes their financial problems as a sign of failure or embarrassment or personal fault which just perpetuates the problem. And nowhere along the personal lending spectrum is that sense of shame more of a white-hot furnace than short-term lending, a last-ditch kind of loan that people are often ashamed enough to get, much less be unable to get out from under. But before we get into what short-term lenders can do to a borrower, I thought it would actually be good to hear what they can do to lenders like Ann Purnell, who made good money at the job, only to find out it wasn't worth it to her. Our income was based on how many we did per month and um, the collection of the funds back. Um, that's how we kept our job and how we worked our job. And that's why I said after just a short period of time, I couldn't do it. <laughs> I couldn't do it anymore. It was, just, it was just too much. Did you ever think when somebody was sitting across from your desk, like, you cannot afford this? Oh, lots of times. Lots of times. But if they're desperate to pay their lights to keep their lights on, or they're desperate to keep their car to go to work, or they're desperate to buy groceries, you know, I don't Whatever I had to say to them, they weren't, you know, I don't think they would have took heed to it because they were like in a desperate situation at that time. Desperate is a word that comes up a lot when short-term loans enter the conversation. So is the word poor. It was the whole, like, clientele of them. Um, most of them was poor people. Um, when I say poor, like, they were living from paycheck to paycheck or they were living above their means and got caught up over their heads and, and you know, most of them had kids they had to feed. There was a lot of single parents. And um, it was a whole scenario, a whole thing of it. Remember when we talked about credit card debts and how they can skid out from under people in a real hurry? There's a myth that way too many people believe about consumer debt, and that's that it exists mainly because idiots drunk buy sneakers and jet skis instead of food. Sure, that does happen, but the reality is a major reason consumer debt exists is because people tied up in things like medical debt put doctor bills on their credit cards before a collections agent puts a lien on their house. Well, victim blaming works like that with short-term loans, too. What we see on the regular payday loans is people are at a point where they need to pay the rent or it's, you know, because they, their child got sick. This is a scenario we see all the time. I'm not gonna pretend some people don't make poor choices. I just don't want you to get it into your head that short-term loan debt is only for people who, quote, deserve it. By the way, we're in Greenville now, 
And this is Carrie Smith, South Carolina president of Self-Help Credit Union. So somebody, child gets sick, they have to take time off from work, and they don't have the sick time. So they lose a couple of days or a couple of hours or a day or two of work because of the sick. Then what happens is, is they, to make up that income, they'll go get a payday loan. And so that's their entry point. And then it just snowballs from there because then they, they usually can't pay it off the next payday or the next month. And they'll end up going and getting another one. And, and that insidious thing where one payday lender or high-cost lender refers to another lender, well, we can't do it right now because you just got this one, but you can go over here to this one. And there's incentives that they pay to refer back and forth. The industry in South Carolina operates under fairly stringent legal requirements, including with respect to small dollar loans, uh, laws that limit the amounts of the loan, the terms of the loan, and other provisions. This is Ed D'Alessio. Ed is the executive director of INFIN, the country's main trade association representing short-term and small dollar lenders. In defense of his industry, Ed says the vast majority of short-term lenders, payday or otherwise, operate fairly and ethically. And if Google reviews, when you look up things like title lenders in Rock Hill are to be taken at face value, storefront lenders do have their loyal customers who like them. And a main reason Ed can defend this is because there is some pretty basic financial incentive for short-term lenders to be on the up and up. No lender wants to make a loan that doesn't get paid. They are looking to, you know, make loans that are serviced appropriately and that get paid off because nobody wins when there's a situation where someone gets in trouble. The complexity kicks in when you look at how payday loans work. There are limits on the amount of fees that can be charged. Uh, the fees under a, an, under a payday or a small dollar loan don't accrue. So generally, if you take out a loan and you are late paying it, the fees don't accrue. That's true. But? You get in debt, and you borrow from the high-cost fringe lenders, and it just goes to where you can't repay it, and so you're just stuck on this hamster wheel over and over again. This is Carrie Gruby Leibarker, administrator of the South Carolina Department of Consumer Affairs, touching on an important caveat about short-term borrowing. Let's say you want to borrow 100 bucks from a payday lender. There's no actual interest on the loan, but there is an upfront fee to get the money. The payday model is about 10 days or so after you borrow, you pay back the $100 and your loan is settled. But did you come up with an extra $100 in that 10 days? Or do you need to borrow that money again? And if you do, what do you end up paying in fees over time to borrow the same amount of money? Sue, you want to weigh in here? If you amortize it, they they say that they only, you know, it's 15%, but what they do is they charge $15 per hundred, and it's a two-week loan or a one-month loan. And if you have to reborrow over and over again, it ends up being 391%. You remember Sue Berkowitz, yes? Director of Appleseed Legal Justice Center in Columbia? Well, Sue likes math. So, for example, if you have to take out six payday loans in a row, you're borrowing the same $550, right? Because you're borrowing it, you're paying it back, and then you got to re-borrow because you have no money to live off of. So it's costing you $82.50 each time. So by the time you're done with six loans, you've paid $1,045 in fees for a $550 loan. And over a six-month period, when you borrow and you pay back and you borrow and you pay back and you borrow and you pay back, that ends up being over 300% interest. On the other side of this equation, 
Ed D'Alessio says the argument doesn't add up. Oftentimes, the cost of these loans is stated in terms of an annual percentage rate or APR, which when you're dealing with short-term products really overstates the cost because it contemplates that the product is being used for a year and it tends to inflate what the cost is. So for example, if you're driving along and you see a, product, a loan that's offered at you know, $300 and it, and, and it costs you $15 for every $100 you borrow, that equates to a 360% APR. You're going to look at that and say, wow, that's that's sky high, but it's $15 a hundred. Um, it's the, the 360 APR is an inflation of the actual, you know, representation of what the loan costs. So whether fees paid to keep borrowing the same amount of money add up to de facto interest several orders of magnitude higher than what you think would be reasonable depends on whether you're lending the money or lobbying to see consumer protection laws enacted. However, given that statistically, most payday borrowers are people who can't easily weather even small financial setbacks, arguments over the value of APRs might not exactly be much comfort. About a year ago or so, I lost one of my car keys. Actually, I'm pretty sure some nut stole it while I was buying a dartboard, but whatever. The point is, I had to get another key, so I went to my dealer. They called me afterwards for what I thought was going to be a survey, but actually, they wanted to buy my car. Above market value on a trade-in for a new ride. Tempting, I said, but no. See, the COVID pandemic led to a huge spike in the value of used cars. Mine being in good shape would have been a really good deal for my dealer. Handsome profit on the resale, second handsome profit on the new purchase lease I would sign. Why am I telling you this? Well, because every once in a while, something comes along to remind you of the value of your car and of the absolute halt your life would grind to if you were to lose it. Now imagine that your car is not just your lifeline to your job and the supermarket and the dartboard store, it's your only equity. You rent a place to live so you don't have equity in a home, and nothing else you own could possibly generate a couple thousand dollars if you were to sell it or put it up for collateral. And if you've never taken out an auto title loan, you might not understand how scary this calculus can be. I was in the process of losing my car. They was wanting $790 a month, I believe. Yeah. I first met Andrea Drummond over lunch near her home in Greenville. To say she's had a rough time would be an understatement. Her husband died, and the bills she ran up afterwards put her in some pretty severe debt with a pretty terrible credit rating. One thing she had to stay connected to her husband was the car that he had bought her. But the utility bills and medical bills and tax bills got so bad, Andrea found herself in need of money and only one kind of lender willing to hand it to her. When the system let me down, that's when I felt like I had to turn the title loan places, loan places, because I had no other way of paying my bills. I had no other means of paying my bills. I won't name the lender, but I would wager you've heard of them. And Andrea says the people at the store, the one she found by driving past all the time until its promise of financial help reeled her in, made the whole process of putting up her main source of equity seem really, really simple. You go in there. You take your title to them. That's all they need is your title in your car. And when you go in there, you put in that for that application of how much you need, 
and they'll give you more and say you can keep coming back every time whenever you need it. Well, there's a catch behind that. When you go, before you go back, you have to pay another payment before you get that money. So you just keep putting yourself in debt and in debt and you keep going back and you keep going back instead of just paying it off. And that's how they get you. They talk so fast, you don't never hear anything they say. All you hear is, uh, this is a month you gotta pay it back on and this is how much. Yeah, they don't go into all that. Mm -mm. They be like, here go the money and we know where to find you. So get you in and get you out real quick. Yeah, get you in and get you out real quick, yeah. So you don't notice anything suspicious. Real quick was about 30 minutes, in case you're curious. She thinks of the shop now as... Predators. Do you think they took advantage of you? I think so, because I was vulnerable, emotional, and out of state of mind. Andrea eventually found another place in town that rolled a dice on her and bailed her out, another lender with pretty good Google reviews, which also, for the record, sells title loans. She says she didn't get one of these this time, and she wouldn't do it again. Neither, it turns out, would this lady. Oh, no, I never did. I, I used to work for a title loan place. You did? Yes. And it wasn't for me. You remember our chat about student loan debt, yes? I introduced you then to someone I didn't name. Well, I'm still not going to tell your name, but at least now you're about to understand why. When um, a person usually walk in, the first thing we ask them is the year of the car. And so from the year of the car, we'll pull up the market value of their books to tell you how much it is. Usually it's more than what the blue book is, but you explain to them the percentage of it, but you have to talk at a certain speed so they won't be able to understand nor ask questions about it. Because they practice with you before the store opens, they practice with you and they time you to see how fast you can tell that part of it and you have to say it word for word. All right, Scott, are you ready? Yes. This is my producer, A.T., by the way. I need his help for this. All right, and go. Actual terms, including maximum loan amount, may vary by applicant. The lender requires certain supporting documentation with each new application. The amount financed assumes the maximum lien fee of $33 being paid from the proceeds to record a lien on the title. A fee of $30 will be charged for any check or other payment device that is returned unpaid. Complete disclosure of annual percentage rate, or APR, fees and payment terms are provided with each loan and are available from the lender. Example of loan terms, the APR for a $533, 180-day installment title loan is 317.88%. The loan consists of five payments of $188.27 due every 31 days and a final payment of $188.03 due at maturity. Example reflects a final period of 25 days. Stop. How long was that? 42 seconds. Is that good? Uh, sure. Why not? All right. Well, whatever the case, that's a real statement verbatim from a real title lender I found online. It came up when I put in the details for my car and asked what I could get if I were to take out a title loan. About 5000 bucks, it turns out. Which makes me wonder what Nissan would have given me if I had taken them up on that trade-in they were calling me about. Now, I should mention here that I called a bunch of title lenders to see if anybody would talk to me, and none of them said they could or would. But I asked Ed D'Alessio, the short-term lending industry spokesman, about the practice of timing out spiels to blow the details of your interest rates and your consequences past you before you sign. Ed says he's not familiar with such a practice being the norm. Anyway, the terms and condition statement I read was for a six-month loan for 550 bucks. But a lot of title loans are written for 36 months, and I can get 5000 So running it through a different title loan calculator... 
$5,000 loan, 36-month term, 4.5% APR, and we get 36 monthly payments of $148.73. Total interest paid over three years amounts to $354.45. So, y'all any good at math? Did you notice that $354.45 is just a shade more than 4.5% of 5,000? It's actually close to 24%. And this is just the kind of thing that Carrie Gruby Liebarker back at Consumer Affairs wants borrowers to keep an eye on. One thing that we tell folks in any kind of transaction, whether it's, you know, a high-cost loan or, you know, purchasing a car or a home or whatever, is to make sure you read the contract. It lays it out there. But people are short-term thinking a lot of times when they're getting the fringe lending because it's there to fill an emergency, some kind of gap. You know, I've got to pay rent. I've got to, I've got to keep my car because that's how it gets me to get my kids to school or gets me to school or gets me to work or whatever else. And so it's a short-term mindset of I won't get down that road. It won't take me 18 months to pay this thing back. And so I won't be paying three times the amount or four times the amount that I'm borrowing. But it's, you know, especially with payday loans and other kinds of short-term loans, like if you didn't have the money today, you're not going to have it in two weeks. Or you're not going to have it in three weeks or maybe even three months. It might surprise you to know that no one, not me, not the state's top consumer protection official, says that short-term loans don't have a place at the financial table. In fact, data from the Consumer Protection Finance Board shows a full 60% of users of alternative funding sources like payday or title or pawn shop loans were outright turned down for credit when they applied at traditional lenders. So, like them or not, short-term lenders do provide a service to people that traditional lenders have shut out. What we all just want to make sure you pay attention to is what you're signing up for, especially given that a solid 60% of alternative finance service users are people who make under 40 grand a year and have poor or very poor credit ratings on their permanent records. And we all want you to be wary of lenders who, I don't know, put a stopwatch on their sales agents to make sure they talk too fast for you to process their contract terms while you're in the middle of an emergency. Of course, you could luck into finding an agent like our unnamed guest, who says she used to counsel borrowers to pay back loans before they were due. If I knew them, I was really telling them how to pay it off quick so they can go ahead and get their, their title back. Because you're getting a loan, and then... It's taking you three years just to pay it back. You paying for the car all over again. I think it was 90 days, and I'm just, was telling them to come in with a certain amount so they can go ahead and pay it off. Once they found out I was doing it, they was like, oh, we can't promote you. And I was just like, I wouldn't even plan on staying here anyway. Two years she stayed at that title place. Two years because she couldn't get a better job in the meantime. There weren't any good ones to give her deliverance where she lives in Barnwell County. The manager before me at the title loan store, he had written up a contract for a lady at 75% interest. That was the lowest interest rate that I saw. This is David. He lives in the upstate and doesn't want to use his full name. But David spent a career in sales and was lured from a job he liked at a furniture store to one at a title lending store that didn't always sit well with him. And it just happened to be on a $10,000 loan. 
and the customer kept paying their payment late. So with late fees and interest accruing, she started at $10,000 and she'd paid about, I'm wanting to say it was close to $7,000 and her balance was still $10,000. That was the one that crossed the line with me, so to speak. I mean, the lady had three kids in a minivan and I had to threaten to repossess her minivan to get her to bring me $2,000 to keep her account going and keep us from repossessing her minivan. And that was part of the $7,000 she had paid, but her balance was still $10,000. Again, think back to our look at student debt and how many college loans are front-loaded, meaning you pay the interest before you get to pay the balance. For some title loans, you can end up paying interest and seeing the balance go nowhere. And then, if you can't keep making the payments, the lender can seize your car. But let's talk about seizure from the lender's side for just a second. Seizure is the penalty for defaulting on a title loan. But contrary to what you might think, title lenders aren't exactly salivating to take your car. Everybody thinks that this company makes money hand over fist, you know, repossessing cars. That's not where they make their money. They make their money where people pay their payments. Most of the time, when we did repossess somebody's car and they didn't get it back, it would go through an auction. And after the repossession fee and the auction fee, we would typically get a check for around $300. And the loan might be a thousand, you know, 500, a thousand or more. So how is this $300 helping? It's not. What's good to keep in mind is that despite their reputations and the realities, title loans tend to be more onerous than crippling. A Vanderbilt University study a few years back found that most people who borrow against their vehicles don't actually lose them. And if they do, they tend to have access to another vehicle, which doesn't help the people who do lose their only rides, but it is important to keep perspective. What's also good to keep in mind is that not everyone who's worked for a short-term lender hated it. Audrey Williams, in fact, loved it. I met a lot of people. I made good money, great benefits, good job, good company. Until 2010, Audrey worked in Aiken for 13 years at a cash advance and payday store that no longer exists. It was a mom-and-pop that eventually fell to competition by franchised short-term lenders. She says the store was much more of a neighbor in the community than a predator, and she says that her job was not to take advantage of customers, but to be there for people who needed money, but had no better options. I don't think anybody was there because they wanted to be there. They were there because they needed to be there. My position was to make sure that they were okay, you know, and they understood what they were doing. And while Audrey says she understands where short-term lending's bad rep comes from, she thinks the usual depiction of lenders as bottom feeders and borrowers as helpless prey is misguided. Payday lending was first started for short-term financial help. And it just blew up. People took advantage of it. A lot of people didn't really realize what they were actually paying because when they get the three the three hundred, it was so much easier for them to get that three hundred again than to just pay it off. They just didn't see that picture. So maybe the narrative about short-term lending is not so simplistic after all. Still, it's hard to dismiss some things like 400% interest rate loans in this state, which doesn't have a rate cap on non-bank loans. It's hard to ignore that short-term lending does tend to burden people already living in bad financial situations, and it's really hard to ignore dollar amounts. 
especially like the ones from the Center for Responsible Lending, showing that payday and title loan fees took $245 million out of South Carolinians' pockets in 2017. Whether that's a failure of consumer protection laws, financial literacy education in school, or something else entirely, it's stats like that that make a lot of people uncomfortable about short-term lending in a, I don't know, intangible way. Which all leads me to an overwhelming question. Do these former short-term loan workers think their co-workers were ethical? Audrey? You felt you were working for an ethical group. Like, oh, yeah. Did your co-workers were ethical? Yes. David? I do because as far as the way my mind works on that, Scott, is they do background checks on employees before they're hired because um, we're dealing with sensitive information and car titles and people, you know, social security numbers and stuff like that. Are there dishonest people working at some of these places? Absolutely. And typically because of the paper trail, they're caught and they're terminated and, and a lot of times more. So what about Ann Purnell back in Williston? Ann, do you think your coworkers at the cash advance store were ethical? That particular kind of business? No, I don't think it. I don't think they were, they had moral values in mind. I really don't. I don't see that business helping anyone. Mm -mm. We'll have to leave this conversation for now. We have to let Ann get back to work. On the next episode of Indebted, the B side of our look into short term lending, its effects on the financially shipwrecked, and what it means to think of debt as a public health crisis. Financial literacy or illiteracy is a serious problem in this country and especially in certain communities. Um, so that makes these financial products potentially very dangerous. So there is definitely concern that vulnerable communities are being targeted. The Unbanked, next time on Indebted. Indebted is a production of South Carolina Public Radio made possible by contributions to the ETV Endowment of South Carolina. Executive producer for this series is Sean Birch. Producer and expert stopwatch timer is A.T. Shire. Our fact checker is Keelan Bailey. I'd like to thank all of those who shared their expertise for this episode. Carrie Smith, Carrie Gruby-Leibarker, Sue Berkowitz, and Ed D'Alessio. My profound thanks to my guests Anne Purnell, Andrea Drummond, Audrey Williams, David, and our unidentified former cash advance worker for sharing their personal stories and for speaking, though your voices sometimes shook. Thank you, as always, for listening. And if you want to listen again, you can find this episode and the entire Indebted series on our website, southcarolinapublicradio.org slash indebted. You'll also find expanded interviews and additional coverage there. You can also subscribe to Indebted wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Morgan. I'll see you on the B-side. Till then, be good to the world.